recorded? I'm J.P. Sears. I'm ultra-spiritual. And I'm going to teach you how to be ultra-spiritual today. First, what you need to understand is being ultra-spiritual has nothing to do with actually being spiritual. Because no one even knows what that actually is. Being ultra-spiritual means you look spiritual. So let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode number four of the Body High podcast. Today, we'll be listening to a conversation I had with JP Sears. His YouTube channel, Awaken with JP, has over 300,000 subscribers, and some of his videos, including How to Become Gluten Intolerant and If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans, have more than 5 million views. I wanted to interview JP because he is touching on a subject that no one really talks about which is using spirituality as a status symbol, or as Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche called it, spiritual materialism. The character of ultra-spiritual JP reflects back to us the ironic relationship many of us may have to spirituality, which, instead of being personal and intimate, is instead often paraded and posted on social media as a sign of our goodness, of our enlightenment, and of our moral superiority. In our conversation, we discuss many topics, including how the ultra-spiritual character came about, the importance of feeling our feelings, acknowledging and respecting our neediness for attention and approval, and the wonderful gifts that our depression has for us when we learn to embrace and listen to that part of ourselves. I hope you enjoy. I'm curious. So originally... You're a Czech practitioner. You're a Czech holistic coach. I think so. You are. If my memory serves me halfway correctly, that's either a memory or a hallucination, but I think that's what I was. And uh, do you still take clients in that, in that regard, like you know, lifestyle coaching? No, not in that realm. Uh, I, I have a very, is kind of like too busy of a one-on-one client practice that's uh, just straight up uh, emotional healing work. Me working directly uh, in the heart realm with people as opposed to, uh, yeah, earlier in my career, I was working in lifestyle coaching, nutrition coaching, and even earlier in my career in the realm of exercise coaching as well. Why did you uh, decide to just stick specifically to heart healing? Yeah, I think uh, ironically following my heart. Uh, I think just the passion and the compassion of my heart, treating it like a compass, led me to be just more and more and more interested in finding personal purpose, satisfaction, and personal growth through working with people at the heart level. And uh, also, that's just what you know, people who I was working with, well, with lifestyle coaching, nutrition, that that started following, fall, uh, falling away, if I can pretend like I speak English today. And just more and more people started seeing me just for the emotional healing work. What did you find not as rewarding in working in nutrition and lifestyle and even exercise? I would, I believe, and I was finding that the kind of dysfunctional nutritional behaviors people have that inevitably they, they just sometimes can't get past, uh, were symptoms. So I do believe that human behavior is incredibly symptomatic of how a person thinks and feels about themselves. 
And I do believe that there's two types of people in this world, those who are emotionally wounded and then those who are in denial of being emotionally wounded, kind of like welcome to humankind. So what I was finding is people's unresolved pain inside uh, was driving them to validate their pain, i.e. their sense of insignificance, their sense of low self-worth. They were validating their low self-worth through uh, uh, nutritional practices that essentially treated them like crap mm. to validate the pain inside. In other words, if I feel crappy inside but I'm in denial of it, then I'm going to be addicted to the behaviors of treating myself like crap on the outside. So in the name of uh, not treating symptoms or not wanting to treat symptoms because it's a very uh, fruitless path, I, I was finding that was a challenge. It's like, okay, people's nutritional behaviors are seemingly largely a symptom of what's going on in their heart. Was that um, challenging at all to die to your old self and be born to this new, more heart realm self? Or were you like, no, this is... I'm cool with it. It's actually easier. I love that question. And if I could dare sound super conflicted, I think it was both for me. It was easier for a part of me in the sense of like, okay, I'm stepping more into my natural flow, my natural authenticity, where things are just, they work more gracefully because I'm operating from a more integrous place of my truth and what's important for me and and then it was harder for another part of me because uh intimacy is scary and inviting people to work in a, an emotionally intimate realm with me is uh intimidating you know it's intimidating to ask people to go into a scary place I found I always felt safer working with people in the physical realms of exercise. You know, it's uh, not very intimate. Therefore, it wasn't very scary for a part of me. It, that actually sounds super trite. I think it can be super intimate, super purposeful. Yet, nonetheless, it felt safer to me. So part of the hardness was also me, de uh, yeah, I would call it me defying some of the internal values and programming that I had adopted from my family, particularly the men in my family, my father and grandfather that kind of says, you know, real men don't cry. Real men don't really have emotions other than happiness sometimes, anger at other times. So to just start primarily valuing the power that emotions have over people for the better or the worse uh, was in a way it was very much uh, I th you said it well very much a death for an old part of me that existed on the oxygen of my early life programming so that's very scary yet I think like uh, any death while it feels like death and it's scary at the time what we don't know, but we can look back in hindsight and say is like, wow, I was actually being born into a greater life that time that I thought I was dying. So it was hard and easy at the same time. Even before the evolution of ultra spiritual JP, the way he is now, even before then, like three years ago, you were still making YouTube videos about emotions. Um, I love you talk about the terrorism of happiness and mm -hmm. um, how human emotions are like this there's a reason why there's all these different colors in the rainbow. And um, 
that's the same for the human emotion. You have more emotions than just happiness. And yet, happiness is, is pretty much the most coveted after emotion in our, in our society. It is the emotion that is most uh, posted on social media. Sure. Um, do you find that kind of, in, in coaching people with, um, in that realm, that they were really looking to find that eternal type of happiness as opposed to being comfortable with their emotions? Because then what you're doing now is you're saying, no, hey, I'm here to help you heal and that requires that you have to be uncomfortable sometimes. And a lot of people are not going to want that. They're like, mm -mm, I came to you so you can fix me, so you can make me better, so you can make me happy. Yeah. In a word, yes. I was finding that a lot. You know, uh, I think uh, lots of people, including parts of me, what we want most is to be happy. And I think oftentimes when we say, I want to be happy, what we're really saying is, I want to feel in control of things, which isn't necessarily happiness, yet we label it happiness. But even if we do want happiness, and if we're in the kind of natural realms of health and healing and looking at things holistically, we say, I want to be happy. And I only want to be happy. And that's an incredibly unholistic approach. It's like looking at the rainbow and saying, I only want one color. I don't want the whole thing. I want a fractionated rainbow. I want the part of the rainbow called happiness. You know, all the other color spectrums of our emotions. I only want the part of the rainbow called happiness because that makes me feel safe and in control. I don't have to feel vulnerable. I don't have to feel challenged. I don't have to walk into the ambiguous mystery of life in my own self. I never have to grow bigger than who I think I am right now because happiness lets me feel comfortable. So we, we want control. We want comfort. So we label that happiness. <clears throat> By the way, parts of me just, yeah, I agree with that. That's what I want. Says so And other parts of me say, no, I want meaning not happiness. Uh, I think me, when we say I want to live a meaningful life rather than a happy life, I think happiness is one of the colors in a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. But if we live a life worshiping happiness, we don't necessarily have a sense of purpose. We make our purpose about chasing one singular emotional experience, which ironically enough and paradoxically, probably both at the same time, I think one, the most effective way to make ourselves unhappy is to chase happiness. Mm -hmm. Because when we're chasing happiness, a huge part of that endeavor, if you will, is denying anything that's not happiness. So if you look at, say, the, the polar opposite of happiness, and if we pretend that's sadness, then a large part of pursuing happiness is resisting sadness and the more we resist sadness the less we can know happiness this is just relativity it's like if you don't know hot you don't know cold and you know it, you can only know as high as the depth that you're willing to descend to so if we're not willing to descend into the depth of sadness more than an inch then we can't know the depth of happiness more than an inch so the more we deny going deeper into sadness in the name of I'm pursuing happiness, the less happy we can actually feel and know in our life. So after a while, when our waters of happiness are getting shallower because we're inadvertently denying sadness, then we re-strengthen our commitment to happiness. Let me really <laughs> just 
you know, do nothing but get happy. Let me post some quotes on Facebook so that I convince the world, so that I can convince myself, seeing the world convinced that I'm Mr. or Mrs. Happy, which really means I'm going to deny sadness even more than I was before. And then after a while, my depth of happiness is even shallower than it was before. So paradoxically, I do believe in order to have genuine happiness in our life, we also need to uh, embrace sadness. So if, in a word, if someone asked me, JP, how can I be happy? I would say go after sadness. Mm-hmm. Because once you stop denying sadness, you stop denying happiness. And, and I think a meaningful life means sometimes we'll be happy. And that's beautiful. And other times we'll be something other than happy. Just like we look at the rainbow and sometimes we see red. And if that's our favorite color, that's what we project happiness onto. But nature doesn't make rainbows that are just red. And if we try to deny the wisdom of nature in our own self, uh, it doesn't seem to work very well. Uh, the, the force of nature that lives through us and lives through this planet and all living things and all dead things that are actually living, but we just call dead because we don't have the consciousness to... Uh, comprehend how they're actually alive, the force of nature always wins. I think our willpower is the illusion of a force. I think, luckily, Mother Nature always wins. It, in the end, always gives us what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we need. So if we resist sadness in the name of blindly, one-dimensionally pursuing happiness, if we do that long enough, Luckily, nature will win out. It'll force us to look at our sadness. Depression is a beautiful blessing that a lot of people believe they're cursed with. You've done a lot of videos on that specifically on on depression. um, Yeah. That where you're encouraging people, hey, look at the messages that depression has for you. There is some kind of even like like a treasure in there. If you just have the courage to like shine a light on it and and see that part of your shadowed self, um, what in what areas of life have you had um, issues with that? Uh, what, what kind of things have you gotten depressed about? Because you're for people who know you more for your like recent mostly um, uh, reposted uh, Facebook videos, they know like JP with a green band around his head and the flower. And yet this person, I guess, like anybody who does comedy, is very much in touch with that painful, depressed part of themselves. Where have you found that in your life? Yeah, uh, typically everywhere I look, (laughs) the the only places I haven't found uh, some residues of depression are probably in the places that I'm still unwilling to look in. (laughs) And, yeah, you know, it's uh, I I typically find that um, my depression... Uh, which, by the way, I think there's two types of people in this world, those who have depression and those who are in denial of their depression. It's a very natural human experience. Uh, it, uh, I would encourage everybody to get out of the mindset of looking at feelings of depression as some kind of flaw or defect in our being. <clears throat> and I would also encourage people to not self-identify with it. I'm depressed. 
versus I have depression. I have feelings of depression. It's something I have rather than something I am. <clears throat> Back to my semi-directly answering your lovely question, Victoria. I find around the holidays where my client work is typically a lighter schedule because people are doing things and I can no longer cover my feelings of sadness and uh, depression with workaholism. Mm -hmm. So I tend to feel actually pretty sad around the holidays or when I'm just not working as much as I want to. And, uh, you know, also, you know, my love life, the, lovely lady who I was with for about two and a half years, about three months ago, we broke up and there's definitely depression there. And if there wasn't, I would say there'd probably be something wrong with me. I'd probably be incredibly numb. And what I do my best to do now, I'm not perfect at it. I don't even think I'm good at it. I think I'm terrible at it. Yet I'm grateful that I at least do my best with it is I do my best to allow my feelings of depression to be there where I make space for them. And I do this weird thing called feel my feelings. (laughs) It's just kind of weird. You think our feelings are there to just fight. Eh. Some would be weird enough to believe that our feelings are there to be felt. And I do believe that uh, uncomfortable feelings have never hurt anybody. Doesn't mean they feel pleasant. They can feel very painful, but they've never hurt anybody. I think what hurts people and disrupts their life is trying to avoid the feelings that are uncomfortable. So I'm just like a newborn cult doing my best to make space for <clears throat> feelings of depression when I'm aware enough to know that they're there. So I'm going to turn it to a, to a lighter topic just because I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't want you're you making to go, me depressed. I know. Sorry. I don't want you to go into your next thing going, damn it. this is why. So, well, kind of, um, uh, segueing into that, uh, into a lighter, the lighter side of, of what, uh, of what you talk about, the, the fun, the really funny, really, really funny stuff you do. Um, I'm curious if part of the reason why you decided to, um, to start doing this type of um, mocking uh, uh, of the the trendiness of like spirituality and fitness and health and all this stuff has to do with the fact that you actually are dealing with very difficult, very uh, not difficult, very um, uh, deep stuff. You're dealing with deep, deep stuff. Um, so is maybe comedy a way to deal with it in a way that is a little more pleasant? Yeah, in my opinion, uh, comedy and humor is like an alchemist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it allows us to transform really heavy, stuck, constipated beliefs and feelings because a message delivered in humor leaves us a better chance of having our mind and ego undefended. In other words, we actually let the message come in and reach a place of meaningful consideration but if I took, say, the the underlying message of one of the ultra-spiritual videos and just spoke that directly at a person in, you know, just a normal kind of way, there's a real good chance that person's mind would become defended. And they, they might listen to my words, but they wouldn't hear them. Mm-hmm. The words wouldn't penetrate. So humor, playfulness, I think, allows 
uh, people to experience a message in a way where they don't feel threatened, they don't feel as though their beliefs are being attacked, they don't feel as though they're being pushed off the homeostatic balance of uh, how they navigate the world and whatever their dogmas and beliefs are. So in a way, it allows us to consider something without knowing that we're considering something. And I, I think it's similar to like when we're learning. I think we learn the most when we don't know we're learning. When we sit down in class in school or take a course, we're like, I'm learning now. Yeah, we might be learning, but I don't think we're learning nearly as much as when we're actually out doing things. And learning is just, it's happening. We're absorbing it, even though we don't register. Like, I'm learning right in now. In a relaxed state. Absolutely. I think that relaxed state is absolutely it. It's just like if you had a sheet of leather over your skin, you can put some kind of medicine or oil on you, but you're not going to absorb it because you have this tight uh, material over you. But when your body's in a relaxed state, you can absorb more. Um, could you just, how would you describe this character? And, and first describe him and then how he came about. It's a great question. Uh, describing this character. I love that question. This character would be someone who uh, builds, uh, he uses spirituality as a social status symbol. Uh, he uses spirituality in order to separate himself from the whole, uh, to differentiate himself from other people into a place of superiority. Uh, the character is someone who is incredibly self-righteous. Uh, he has his beliefs, and more shockingly, he believes all his beliefs, and he believes other people should believe his beliefs that he believes in. Uh, the character is also incredibly uh, not self-aware, and he has an incredible amount of belief that he is very self-aware. Uh, so the character definitely contradicts himself, yet is blinded to, uh, he's blinded to it because he's not self-aware. And the blindfold that he has is his own dogma of believing that he's very self-aware. Um, yeah, so that's a an arrogant narcissist, uh, narcissist uh, who projects himself and projects his narcissism through a spiritualized vocabulary. Uh, I think would be another thought. So where this uh, character came from, I would say that I'm guilty of everything I just described about the this character. <laughs> I was talking about a part That's why I like him so much. I'm like, oh, yeah. I've done that. I do that. <laughs> you built a hell of a trap for me to slide into. All that crap I just said about the character, all those bad qualities, that's all a part of me. So, yeah, where this character came from is... Uh, I would dare say me becoming more self-aware of um, me spiritual, spiritually bypassing, uh, me uh, using spirituality in a very egotistical way. Uh, so in other words, it's, it's a part of my personality. I think there's actually two parts of my personality that make up the whole of the character. One would be, you know, the very egotistical 
nonsense person that I just described. And the other part of the character, I think, is a, a very humorous, playful part of me. Blend those two together and you have the ultra-spiritual character. And, uh, yeah, and I think just another dimension of where the character came from was a, a willingness for me to risk putting those collective parts of me into this character on display. Uh, it's very therapeutic, actually, for me. And then also seeing the world around me. I think, actually, the more I can see that stuff in me, the more I can see it in the world around me. I lived in Southern California for 10 years. You know, it's a very ultra-spiritual place where lots of people, including myself, would use spiritual beliefs and spiritual practices in a way that would actually work against their uh, actual spiritual life. So, yeah, I think that's a little bit of the forensics of the character and his origins. The Instagramming and the Facebooking and the constantly putting yourself out there um, is something that it's, it's interesting because it's something that you're doing a lot. You, know, mm -hmm. you have a YouTube channel. Um, you, you, post your, you post yourself on Instagram and Facebook and other social media outlets. And yet at the same time, um, you, you recognize, you know, what, the toll that it could have on a person to be constantly putting themselves out there like that. Now you're doing it through this ultra spiritual JP and you always have some positive message to put out or, you know, you're providing some kind of value, either comedic or some kind of value. Um, but for a lot of people now, it's literally just holding up the phone and taking pictures of themselves in the bathroom or going to the gym and taking pictures of their PR deadlift. Why, how are they doing their PR and holding you know, the camera? <laughs> I have no idea, but they managed to do it. Um, I did um, a bodybuilding bikini competition, so that's also very popular now. You know, I, I was the girl who would take pictures of herself at the gym, so I hate yeah. that now. Um, I'm like, what are you doing? I know better. I can tell you that this is, this is not good. It's going to lead to an eating disorder. It's not good. Um, but how do you feel about this stuff? I mean, it's, it's something that is present. I don't know that it's going to go away. For me, social media and everything that comes with it, putting myself out there and uh, looking for validation through likes and comments and uh, how many followers do I have? How many followers do they have? What's someone else putting out? And how do I feel about myself relative to how she looks on her pictures? All that said, social media is a huge source of power, in my opinion, period. I think like any power, it's got a constructive side and a destructive side. And I think society on the whole, and certainly most individuals within that society, we are in our infantile stages of dealing with this power. So it's much like if you uh, gave a one-year-old um, a power tool, you know, let's just say a drill with a couple of horsepower. I don't know if horse drills are measured in horsepower. I'm not hating it. But that infant in its infantile stages can do a lot of damage to itself with that drill. Uh, I think there's a lot of personal uh, responsibility and self-awareness that needs to be developed before people on the whole are using uh, social media in a way that's truly empowering for themselves. And I'm not talking about empowering for their business or empowering for their fan page. I'm talking about truly empowering for themselves. I think some people do it now, but largely not. It's just like 
Spider-Man's uncle once said, with great power comes great responsibility. And there is great power in social media. And uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. And there never was a wise woman who came along out of the woods in 2010 and said, okay, Facebook's a real thing now. So let me help you guys understand how to use this in a way that works for you, not against you. So what I, w- what I certainly would invite people to do is ask themselves why before they get on, before they open Facebook app, before they jump on Instagram, before they post anything, before they send a Snapchat, why? Why am I about to post what I'm about to post? And if your answer is because I'm needy as hell and I want people to validate me, There is so much power in self-awareness. But if you are in a needy as hell place and want people to validate you, but you have to deny it and sell yourself a story that says, I need to post this picture because uh, I think my friends care about it. uh, To me, that is you losing yourself. You're becoming blinder to yourself in order to justify uh, your... need to be validated. But I think, I mean, welcome to humankind. We all are needy as hell and we all need to be validated. So at the very least, if we're acting from a place of neediness, don't shame yourself. Don't just try to deny it. Act from that place. But can you have the vulnerability and the self-awareness and self-acceptance to know you're acting from the place? Um, That's my invitation to people. Uh, I think Social media can be a way where we live the illusion of connecting to the world while our reality is we're disconnecting from ourselves. And I think there is a significant light side where social media uh, it has the potential and it, it just depends on how we use it in the moment to really bring oneness back to this world. I mean, never before in human history could we post something online and then have people from all over the world connect and unify about that subject. It's amazing. And I also think social media is a magnifying glass. Uh, All it does is when we look, oh, I was compulsively posting everything and so concerned, it just shows us the intangible dysfunction inside of us or function that's always there. It's just invisible. But it gets to be actually become a little bit tangible when we look in the mirror of how we use social media. It just shows us what we are. It's just like if you give someone $20 million, all it will do is magnify how they already are. They might be incredibly responsible and wise and caring with what they do with that money. And it may just magnify uh, how controlling, fearful, and egotistical they are. It just shows you what you already are through a magnifying glass, in my opinion. You said something um, that I I noticed in a lot of your videos, and even just you said right now, there was no wise old woman to come to us in 2010 and, and, and warn us and or guide us on how to how to use social media. This is something that I also think is kind of trendy, like in the uh, like in the ultra spiritual JP realm, the whole idea of the divine feminine. But you you do tap whatever this feminine energy is. You do tap. Um, uh, into that a lot, I feel, especially because you're operating a lot, like you said, from your heart realm. What what have you learned by going more into that that energy within yourself, that feminine energy within yourself, and silencing a little more of like what you said, the, the masculine energy that you grew up with? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, what comes up for me is I, I think we all have something that wants to live through us. And part of the feminine dimension of energy, I think, is receiving whatever kind of pours into us from a place beyond ourself that ultimately comes from within. Uh, I think we have to be open for it. We have to metaphorically create the feminine wound in order to receive uh, womb, not wound. That's an interesting uh, slip of the tongue. Uh, we have to create the feminine womb to receive that which wants to live through us. And what I've learned is that uh, the deepest satisfaction I've ever had uh, comes when I express what wants to live through me. Uh, and oftentimes that's creativity. Oftentimes it's words. It's it, uh, Oftentimes it's uh, uh, speaking without knowing what I'm going to say until I hear myself say it. It's just a... Uh, letting the flow go through me kind of thing. My just question to, right now. Uh, I had no question to this, but let me make one up. <laughs> absolutely. And, and I think that I would dare say you didn't make it up. I would dare say you became open to receive a question that wanted to come through you. And, but, you know, just like me, I say, I created this video. It's like, ah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was created and I allowed it to come through me. Um, and then to be honest with you, I'm in a place where I believe I need, and I'm working on bringing more masculine energy back into my life, allowing myself to bring more passion uh, with my compassion. I think I actually, as a kid, I learned to fear a masculine energy. And it, uh, probably, uh, many reasons, one of them is like my dad was incredibly scary when he would yell. And uh, I think I learned to have shame and fear about masculine energy. I learned just through my own delusional perception of life is that um, I'm not safe if there's masculine energy. And I'm not going to be valued if I'm acting from a place of strong masculine energy and passion. So, yeah, I'm trying to bring more fire to merge together with the water of my feminine. And uh, I think a, a, another dimension of that, uh, of passion, is allowing myself to be out of control, allowing myself to break the bonds of just trying to meet people's expectations and present myself in a balanced, calm kind of way. So I think the masculine energy kind of wants to scream uh, metaphorically, sometimes literally, scream and be uncontrolled and wild. And I definitely need more of that in my life. What are some of the uh, some of some videos that you're thinking about right now that you may want to that you may want to be uh, working on soon? Some topics, some trends you've seen that you want to explore. Yeah, um, kind of on the well on the comedy side first. Uh, uh, yesterday, I did uh, a lot of filming for a video that will be called "If Vegans," I'm sorry, "If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans." Uh, so that'll be put out soon, maybe by the time this airs. Uh, I'm not sure the timing. Uh, that's that's fun. Um, some other video ideas on the list would be how to be a Buddhist. Uh, I want to do a video on astrology. And then on the serious video side of it, got a 
very long list of questions from viewers that I've noted. And uh, so there's a lot of questions with you know, really good topics in there that I'll be diving into. Yeah. One of my, my, it's a blessing and sometimes it feels like a curse is ideas come to me far faster than I can just kind of create them and video them and uh, publish them. And I think that is a good problem to have. Are you familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert? Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, which, is she the Eat, Pray, Love lady? I, I haven't read that book yet, but um, she has a great book called Big Magic where she talks mm. about the creativity process. She discusses this, uh, the Greek idea of the genius. Have you heard of this? No. So um, where in, in our modern culture, we talk about genius as being something that we are. We are the genius. Right. In ancient Greece, you would say something like, oh, the genius has passed through me. Or I was visited oh, I like last night. Like the muse. I was visited last night by the genius. So whether you were full of inspiration or had no inspiration at all, you never took it personally because it was never you. It was just this phenomenon mm. that you could recognize within yourself that it was as possible for yourself as it was for anybody else. It, w it didn't belong specifically to you. It was like this archetypal creative energy that if you learn to recognize, you could, uh, you could do something, uh, you could do something with it. You could write poetry, you could sing, you could whatever it is that you wanted to do. Um, and I think that's kind of like a much healthier way of looking at things because well, you say you have all these ideas, so many ideas that you don't even have the time to like write them down. You kind of have to trust that they'll come back. You kind of have to trust that all of this creativity yeah. is coming from a well that is infinite. You know, I mean, it's all, it's all, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you're not saying something that no one has said before um, yeah. because, you know, egotistical societies have existed way before us. <laughs> um, problems of spirituality have existed way, but I mean, all these things have existed before and it's, it's so nice to have you put it in this JP ultra spiritual character in a way where you are, you are, you are a reflection of something that's going on that nobody's really talking about because I think it requires, like you've said, having a sense of humor about yourself. It also requires admitting that you're full of shit, which if you're, <laughs> which, which if you're in the health coaching profession, isn't very good because yeah a lot of your business in, in the fitness industry um, is coming from people who are looking for a savior, people who are looking yeah. for, and so that doesn't give you a lot of leeway to be human yourself. You hold yourself to this godlike uh, 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 pedestal. And that's, that's, a, that's a difficult place, to, a very, un, very not fun, difficult place to be. Oh, I would agree. It's a place of immense pressure. Uh, where we uh, we're essentially in a working relationship with expectations, uh, and it's a curse we put on ourselves when we uh, tell people, "Hey, I've got your answer." <laughs> uh, I mean, that is a bullshit statement, and to live under the weight of that, and for us to even convince ourselves that that's true, it's incredible self-deception. Uh, I, I think there's so much wisdom, and I think it was either Lao Tzu or Confucius, one of the two, who said, the only thing I know is that I don't know. It, so to me, uh, and pardon my um, kind of judgmental uh, terminology, I am talking about a part of myself, disclaimer, uh, those who have a sense of certainty are the most ignorant. Those who are willingness to, uh, those who are willing to let go of a sense of certainty 
and embrace curiosity are the wise ones. So I think the, the more service we give to people. So, yeah, and I, I certainly operated for professionally for a number of years, uh, thinking that I need to tell people, yes, I have your answers. I have your solutions. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of weight to live under. And it, it, it's the opposite of freedom, in my opinion. And I believe it's very disrespectful of people's personal power. But that's what sells. Yeah, it, it's def- it, thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth. In the short term period, long term is, in my opinion, a completely different story. Um, because it also makes people more interesting when you when you can embrace all those different parts of yourself, all those ugly sides, all the hypocritical sides, all the contradictory sides, the mean sides, your your bitch self, your saint self. These are it's a concept of um, of archetypes, you know, like these this is archetype archetypal energies that exist within all of us, and you have all these different, you know, uh, split personalities to choose from. You know, why limit yourself to? One, why limit yourself to you know perfection? Um, yeah, it's so boring. Um, I, one more thing I would I know we're, we're running uh, short on time. I do want to talk to you about me one sec. I wrote a lot of notes and then I end up not using them. <laughs> okay, well, okay, I'm just gonna read something from from your video. So a quote that I put from your video because I'm not even gonna ask you anything about it. I'm just gonna read it because I think it's important. Um, if we actually become so delusional to believe we don't have an ego anymore, or that we can actually get rid of it. What if that's the trap that has us, that has us controlled by our ego more than anything else? So there's my question. So um, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, are you familiar with Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche? He's- That's a mouthful, I, I am, yeah, It probably. took me forever, I practiced just for this. <laughs> it's my tongue twister before I do any podcast. Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche, Chogyam So this is, it's, 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 it's this a Buddhist dude from Tibet who um, left with all of the others, but he made it to the U.S. and he went to um, he ended up going to Colorado to Boulder, like all good hippies do. Um, and he uh, founded a Nairobi yeah. University. But anywho, he wrote this great book called "Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism." And I was mm-hmm. when I first saw your videos, I'm like, "There's no way that he hasn't read this book, or there's no way he hasn't heard of this before." So spiritual materialism, as he defines it, he said, look, it's the 60s. Y'all are getting all of these spiritual concepts from us, you know, like, you know, oneness and Buddhism and like Zen and all these different terms that you're you're liking. But I'm seeing something here, which is the same thing that you point to. It's like I'm seeing that you guys are using this as personal development. He's like, that's not that's not what this is for. This isn't so that you can, you know, grow personally. This isn't so. Um, you can grow your business. This isn't about goal setting. This isn't about telling other people how much more spiritually evolved you are. If anything, spirituality is something that is very intimate. It's private. Yeah. In the Bible, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is where um, there's a quote about how you know God doesn't want a person to go out in public and pray in public. God loves the person who prays behind closed doors in private, where you don't have yeah. to let everybody know about this. Um, so Chogyam Trumpa was saying, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to work out for the West. You know, I'm not going to live long enough to see it. I don't know how the West is going to be able to integrate these, 
Eastern spiritual concepts in a way that is true to the, to the Eastern way because the West makes everything about achievement and makes everything about, you know, my spirituality is bigger than yours. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that there is a question in there either, quite frankly. I just wanted to let you know that somebody before you already thought yeah. about it, so you're not that original. <laughs> well, now my ego's pissed off. Well, there is no time, Victoria, so I don't think it actually came before me. No, that's awesome. I, I love every drip of what you just said, and essentially what that means to me, which you know, I certainly agree with, one of the most egotistical things we can do is try and get rid of our ego. The pursuit of getting rid of our ego, I think, is incredibly egotistical. And, and I think the... What uh, this lovely dude whose name I still won't be able to pronounce, you know, the I, I think part of his message for us in the West and hopefully those in the East, I'm not going to pretend like they're somehow above it all, is realize there's a shadow side to spirituality. Uh, and, and realize maybe the most spiritual thing we ever do is called living our life, that which we call spiritual, that which we call uh, our spiritual life is already something we're making separate from the whole of our life. And I think separation goes against the very essence of what spirituality is, which for me is realizing a sense of oneness and wholeness. So, and I think there's a humble uh, note in there, in my opinion, that says we have an ego and you will, as long as you're a human, period. And probably even after that, period. So please be aware how your ego is gratifying itself, period. I'm like talking voice to text here. And it's not a question of, is my ego using meditation to gratify itself? That's not the question. It is. The question is, how is my ego using meditation to gratify itself? And can we recognize it and accept it? rather than living in a perpetual relationship of rejecting the reality of it, and therefore we're becoming more separate from the part of us that does, the part of our ego that does gratify itself through meditation, that does gratify itself. Like, I just went to a retreat. Yeah, go me. But I think part of what I would call real spirituality is acceptance. And actually, if I was to define spirituality and healing and personal empowerment all in one word, it would just be acceptance. So, mm -hmm. and I think uh, we need aspects of ourselves that feel unacceptable or else we can't polarize into a place of acceptance. So a lot of times our egotistical crap feels very unacceptable, so we avoid it. Yet I think the very beauty of it is that unacceptable stuff like, yeah, I'm greedy. I want attention and I, I want you to notice how awesome I am because I'm spiritual. Look, do you see how many fans I have on my Facebook page? Like, yep, uh, my ego wants all that. It feels unacceptable to me. And that's the challenge. I, my challenge is to work on accepting what feels unacceptable to me about me. It's easy to accept what feels acceptable, yet to me, the real meaning comes when we work on accepting what feels unacceptable to us. So can we look at how is my ego gratifying itself in any given moment? I, yeah, I was praying in public. You know, to get a little attention. I've been part of retreats where 
we're in a circle and it starts to become competitive praying. You know, I mean, my (laughs) prayer is going to be slightly more insightful. And before too long, someone's saying a 45 minute long notice me kind of uh, speech. So then we start praying in private. Well, can I notice part of me is gratifying itself by living the illusion? Well, now I don't need to be noticed out in public. So I'm praying in private which is gratifying to me because I get to have the sense that I'm, I don't need to be noticed, which is so gratifying itself. So in other words, I think we're all human beings and we always will be. Can we accept that or are we in denial of it? You do talk about that in, and I'm going to let you go because I know you have this uh, thing coming up, but you do talk about that in uh, the, the approval addiction video where, you know, you say it's part of, Part of getting rid of approval addiction is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and there's a part of us that feels almost like, oh, I'll go pray in public. I'll go pray to, but hey, can you actually pray on your own without posting it, without making it? Like, just, just, just as a silent, humble thing, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to be in that void, to be yeah. in that, but at the, in the short term. But in the long term, there is a sense of, hey, I'm paying righteous attention to myself i am Mm. respecting myself i am honoring my inner world i'm and i love this i love looking at it like this i am parenting myself Mm. i'm being the mother and the father i have the discipline to do this and at the same time i have the compassion to to take care of these things that i need because i have needs i have emotional needs um that are a lot ego-based but i'm not going to judge them i am going to be aware of them but at the same time, I'm going to love them. It's like a, it is like being the masculine and the feminine within ourselves, you know, constantly keeping a check on our ego, making sure that it's um, uh, rightly fed, but at the same time that it, it isn't, that it isn't binge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, all I can say is amen to that, sister. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for giving me uh, some of your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy. Um, and that, that's how important I am. I need everybody to know I am busy. Super busy. It's, it's, it's just by way of apologizing because I feel like I missed so I had so many good questions and all of these notes and all of this. And I, didn't even, I didn't even go over any of them. Great. Well, you know well, what? I went over them in my head. So that's all that matters. For sure. It's been an absolute pleasure riding these waves of spontaneity with you, Victoria. And I really appreciate you having me on uh, with your lovely offering to the world. And uh, thank you for sharing your time with me. My judgment of you is I think you're awesome, you're beautiful, and you're sharp. I think that's a lovely combination. You're not going to beat me in humility. No, thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm well, the honored one. <laughs> thank you for your thank you. I am so grateful for your thank yous. <laughs> I had a great time doing this interview, and I hope you enjoyed. Check out the next podcast, episode number five, where I'll be interviewing author of The Religion of Thinness, Michelle Olika. Have a great day.